I'm Chris Farrell, sitting in for Angela Davis. You're listening to the NPR News, and I'm glad you could join us today. So, it's Monday morning. Does work feel like an endless grind of frustration and failure? Are the reasons why you pursued a profession and a career now seem lost in the fog of endless tasks and responsibility at work? Are you wondering why you're still doing your job? What happened to that idealism, that passion that drove you into the profession or career in the first place? If that's you, you might be burned out. Now, I regret to inform you that we can't prescribe you anything that will miraculously bring back your sense of wonder and engagement on the job. No magic pills or wand to wave. But what we can offer this hour is insight and humor about recognizing and confronting burnout at work. What are the signs? the symptoms, and maybe some well-researched paths for finding your purpose again with Dr. Stuart Bloom. Dr. Bloom is an oncologist who created and performs the musical How to Avoid Burnout in 73 Minutes. Last month, the two-man show, uh, show played a sold-out run at the Southern Theater in Minneapolis, and I was in the audience. And so I wanted to learn more from Dr. Bloom. Today, he's joining me to talk about his experience and what he has learned about the personal and social costs of burnout, and most importantly, what can be done about burnout. So, and we want to hear from you. Have you experienced burnout at work? How did you know? What did you do about it? The phone lines are open. Call us at 651-227-6000 or 800-242-2828. And now, let me bring in my guest. Dr. Stuart Bloom is an oncologist who has treated cancer patients for more than 20 years in the Twin Cities. He's also associate professor at the University of Minnesota Medical School. He teaches doctoring skills and explores and addresses the causes of medical burnout. Welcome. Hi, Chris. I just want you to know that I'm a longtime listener, but first time... um interview, I guess. Yeah, well, I'm so excited that that you're with us. I'm really glad that um, you could join us. Although, I was thinking, I was just doing the numbers here. I think we have to modify the title of your musical a little bit to fit the length of our conversation, How to Avoid Burnout in 53 Minutes. Got it. No problem. Okay. So, to start off, what does the term burnout mean to you? Well, you know, so burnout is this thing that... I, I've been told I was going to burn out my whole career because I always was somebody who, um, you know, I got involved in medicine late. You know, uh, my my story, as you know, from the musical is that, you know, I was an actor and a comedian, spent my 20s in New York City. I, I worked enough as an actor to know what it felt like to be a working actor. I did, uh, wrote, you know, original comic songs and I played them at comedy clubs. But by by the time I turned 30, you know, I wasn't rich and famous. Um and then my own father got, uh, you know, stomach cancer, and that kind of changed really uh, everything for me. Um, uh, and uh, my wife, uh, you know, was reading a book by a cancer doctor at the time, my wife, Carolyn, and she gave me the book. Uh, and I read it, and I closed it, and I said, gosh, I, should, I, think, I think I want to be an oncologist. Um, and did she uh, say, give me back the book? I know, you know, that's the, that you can insert your own joke here, but you know, the, the truth is Carolyn has been so, you know, just unconditionally supportive. And she said, you know, guess what? I think you'd be a great oncologist. So, you know, I had no pre-med classes, right? You know, I, I was 30 and, uh, you know, I had no, uh, no sciences and I, I, I didn't even know how you got into medical school. So I went down to the medical school at the time. I talked to one of the assistant deans and I said, so do, how do you even get into medical school? Like, what do you have to do? And he said, oh, no, it's no problem. Just have to take a year of 
biology, a year of calculus, a year of chemistry, a year of organic chemistry, and a year of physics. And it helps to have some biochemistry. There you go. Like, yeah, no, you know, no problem. I could do that. Uh, you know, what time is it now? I could finish it over the weekend. Um, and then I got started with it and I com- it completely, you know, freaked me out. But, you know, the truth is, is that it quickly just kind of made sense and I kind of flew through it. Um, and then I was uh, a 43-year-old uh, oncologist. But so when I was going through training, people always said, look, you're going to burn out. You can't do it the way you're doing it. And the way that I was doing it was that I was just acting. You know, the stuff I learned in acting school uh, was the stuff I, uh, you know, keep your heart open, go to places that are difficult, see life from another's perspective. Um that's the stuff I did, uh, you know, as I was training to be a doctor. People always told me I was going to burn out. But the truth is, I'm all about meaning, Chris, right? You know, mm-hmm. I think life is meaningful. Life is about something. And if you're a doctor, I mean, it's just an enormous privilege to do it, uh, to, to be involved with people at the most vulnerable times of their lives and to actually be there. And maybe you could help. And um, it was just uh, just an enormous privilege to do it. But I was always told I was going to burn out. Um, and you would just sort then, of shrug your shoulders and say, that, that's not going to happen to me. That's not going to happen to me. This is great. I love this. I'm living this. I'm living my dream, you know, to be involved in. And I wanted to be with sick people, right? You know, I didn't want to uh, go into medicine and, you know, uh, pop pimples or uh, not that there's there's nothing wrong with that. Of course, Chris, nothing <laughs> at all. Um, you know, as, as, as one who's had acne, I think it's a very important thing. Um, but, you know, I wanted to get my fingernails dirty. I wanted to, to kind of get in there and be with sick people and just kind of because I, I knew if I did that, um, I could learn a little something about myself as well. You know, I've always kind of been a seeker that way, I guess. So the and, and it always, you know, there's always a trade off, right? Right. In any work, I bet you do. You know, that you you put into a lot, you get a lot out of it. And, and if you get more out of it than you put into it. Things go well. If you, you know, get less out of it than you put into it, then you're, you know, you're, you're running a deficit. Um, and that's when you and, get frustrated, you get upset, maybe cynical. Okay, so that's the thing. So something happened to me. Uh, maybe I fell down a flight of steps as a kid or something. Um, I've never been cynical. Throughout this whole process, I've never been cynical. I've never been nihilistic. But but cynicism and nihilism is a, a hallmark uh, of burnout. Um, you did a good job at the beginning, a great job at the top of your show talking about the things that can drive burnout. Um, for me, uh, the it was ultimately kind of being in a place that did not share my own values, right? The, the values that I went into, you know, what's happening now... Um, in so this medicine. is the workplace. Not- this is the workplace, yeah. right, exactly. Stuff in the workplace. So what's happening in medicine, um, it's very clear, is that, you know, so doctors, all of us, you know, we're so altruistic and beneficent and, you know, do-gooders. We're pathologic do-gooders. We want to do well. We want to help people. And so to, in order to get into medical school, we write these medical school application essays talking about how much we want to make the world a better place. And then when we're done with medical school, done with our training, we go into uh, the real world. And the real world world is that the vast majority of doctors are employees. And so we have employers. And guess what? The employers didn't write those medical school application essays, right? They have a different 
a different objective. They have a right? business to run. Um, they have to have positive they, cash flow at the end of the day, right? Exactly. Right. And so what, what does a doctor care about that? You know, with what, that, there's nothing in the Hippocratic Oath about that, right? Or the Code of Maimonides. It's, so these two things are, you know, just really, um, they're so contradictory um, that ultimately what happened for me is that uh, I got the feeling at work that I could care as much as I wanted about the patients that I was seeing. That's fine if I wanted to do that. But that wasn't as important as continuing to see patient after patient after patient. I think that's a pretty common thing I hear from my colleagues in, uh, in all lines of medicine. So I had a notebook with me when I was uh, always have a notebook with me, and I did jot down. I and I believe it was yeah. it was was during uh, the musical this this yeah. this phrase moral injury. Yes, and that really just struck me, like, oh, so what is a moral injury? So so the thing is, there's this idea of cognitive dissonance, right? Cognitive yeah. dissonance is when you have this deeply held belief, and then you hope that your actions reflect your deeply held belief. Um, and so when I had this deeply held belief, uh, and hopefully still do, that, that I was a beneficent, altruistic person providing care to people who needed it, the manifestation of that was people wanted to come and see me, and they told their friends about me, and I, I got these wonderful cards and notes from, from people. Um, and so that was, that was, you know, that was all kind of uh, consistent, right? There was no dissonance there. But if I felt I was a beneficent, altruistic person, and yet the people for whom uh, I was working, said, that doesn't matter. Just see person after person after person. You're actually more of a monetized commodity than this altruistic person. That's where the cognitive dissonance comes in. And so you are not doing what you feel that you should be doing. And that's where moral injury happens. And what happens is our hearts break and we burn out. Hmm. And so how does this burnout express itself when you're, when you're at work? Right. So there's lots of different people. I've seen lots of different ways that this happens, right? From suicide, from doctors just taking their own lives, to substance abuse, to just becoming very cynical, to just getting the heck out of Dodge, right? The biggest thing that's happening now, Chris, is that doctors are leaving. You know, two or three years ago, it became clear that, that we were headed for a physician shortage that was supposed to happen by 2032. But something came out in the New England Journal of Medicine about three months ago um, that polled uh, medical leaders in both the U.S. Uh, and uh, Europe. And two-thirds of people who are in medical leadership say there is a doctor shortage now. And it's a lot uh, of retiring, even, isn't it? I mean, people are, you know, put in quotes, but people right. are retiring. Yeah. When they look at that, people are retiring, but also people are going into industry. I mean, that's happening mm. too. And, and, and so that's kind of medical. Um, I know a number of people, I can just think of three offhand right now, who, who all went into industry um, just because they just could not take what was uh, going on anymore. And there's an even bigger nursing shortage. I mean, 85% of those polled said that there was already a nursing shortage uh, where, they, uh, where they are working. So I want to give out the number again. Uh, the number is 651 227-6000 or 800-242-2828. And if you've experienced burnout at work, want to hear your story. I mean, what was your experience? What 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 drove you to, ha to those feelings of burnout? And how did you cope? How did you deal with it? How did you break through? And have you regained your purpose, your meaning on the job? That's 651 227 
6,000. So, Stuart, I have to ask you, okay, we get, and mm-hmm. I have a lot more questions to, to ask you about this topic, but sure. you end up with a musical. Okay. Yeah. Where, I mean, not how many that, of us sit around happen? and say, you know, huh, I've been dealing with this topic. I right. think I'm going to write a musical. Yeah. So, so, so the story with that is that, you know, I've been writing songs since I was, you know, 13. And it's always kind of the way that I journal. Right. You know, my my poor wife, Carolyn, can can um, can testify to this because I've written songs for her. You know, we've been together for like 45 years and I've written songs for her the whole way through. So there's some songs about when I was wooing her. There's songs when we get married, when we had a child um, uh, later on, our, our more our, our older, love, you know. So it's just kind of the way that uh, I've always journaled, um, you know, and, and when I got involved um uh, at medical school, I would do a show a year about what it was like to, you know, be that year in medical school. Uh, and then when I uh, was a, a medical resident at, at Hennepin County Medical Center, what a, that, a wonderful, wonderful program. Um, I wrote uh, an operetta about what it was like to be uh, a, a resident there called Miserable Wretches Are We, you know, <laughs> and, then, uh, and then when I did my oncology training, I wrote a song called Cancer. C-A-N apostrophe T comma S-I-R, which was how I, you know, couldn't treat cancer, but I could really apply for a grant. Um, and then I got out into practice. Uh, and it was, again, so meaningful, so wonderful. And the songwriting kind of took a took a backseat to just kind of, you know, the 60, 70 hour a week learning how to do this. And then I started writing songs again uh, uh, that reflected what was going on at work, just so I could have something to sing and play at the end of the day. You know, I never really thought that anybody would listen to these things and that it would be a show. Um, but as I kept on working and as I kept on writing songs, you know, about five, six, seven years ago, I looked at it, I looked at the songs and I said, "Huh, they have an arc to them." And you know, I thought, "Well, is this a show?" And of course, you know, I'm around people all the time who die, who, who are not living as long as they thought, who work so hard that they get to retirement and then the first day after retirement, they feel a lump and they're gone in six months. And I just, I know that life is short. And I, I thought, gosh, you know, I don't want to be 70 and feel like, God, I had all these songs. Why didn't I do something with it? So then I wrote this show. And uh, so the thing is, this was very much on the microscopic level, Chris, I did not realize that there was this huge national thing happening with burnout because I was really, you know, from a distance, right? You know, you can see things from a distance. I was at the ankle level, I think, pretty much, uh, you know, just and I knew some of my partners were burned out, too. And we just kind of got through it the way that we could. Um, and so I wrote this show just so I could, you know, give myself it was my 60th birthday present to myself. I got a wonderful actor to be in it, Eric Ringham, who is a local actor and just wonderful. I got it. And former colleague uh, here at Minnesota Public uh, Radio. Oh, yeah, that's right. Um, and he, um, and then I, uh, Peter Moore, who's a terrific uh, local director, you know, uh, the, I, trying to get some interest in this. Can you imagine what it would be like, Chris, if you had a theater and I called up and said, Hi, I'm an oncologist. I wrote songs about what it's like to be an oncologist. Can I play them at your theater? Can you imagine? You know, so I got, I got, yeah, I got, I got no responses. You know, uh, when I sent a few emails, but I could just anyway. So, um, so, but we did this show. You know, it, it kind of became pretty clear that you know, as I started learning about burnout, there were burnout inventories. There's the famous Maslax one that we use in the show. Uh, Tate Shanafeld from Stanford has a, a great one, and it just kind of seemed like it was a show. And and the, I had to kind of figure out. Well, as I was going through burnout, you know, in during the day in clinic and then over the weekend I would rehearse this thing. There was really no separation. It was, 
it was pretty, pretty crazy. So the first iteration of it, I was just in the throes of burning out and, and then doing the show, you know? Um, and so, uh, that's where those songs all came from. They, it, it, once I realized it was a show, I wrote a few more like the click a box song. Yeah. Um, you know, the, I think that I didn't realize, first of all, a great and enormous and I, it's, I still can't believe it. Surprise about the whole thing is that this show resonates with so many people. Um, I think that's why it's had such a yeah a beyond life. just I mean I shouldn't say beyond sounds, but it's not just for medical professionals, right? So you were there, uh, yeah. and you know I'm glad I didn't know I would have been extra nervous, but um, you know so I wanted to you, go down on stage and start interviewing <clears throat> you, but I, I I didn't do that. Well, thank thank you, <clears throat> thank you very much for withholding. <laughs> um, so, but you know it's it, the it just kind of because all of us are are burned out in our own ways and covid you know made it so much worse you know loneliness drives burnout community yeah. is an antidote to burnout um and so the, what was happening i think throughout the course of our show with the audiences is this is definitely what i felt and tell me if you felt it too everybody was just so happy to be there yes. you know, they just were they just they loved just being together and sharing this whole thing um and god what a what a amazing gift i never i never knew yeah. that. I, I never dreamed that it would happen like and that. there are these kind of i don't know i don't know how for you but it's almost like a bittersweet moment because people were laughing with this sort of knowing laugh like you wish people didn't real they were laughing about the way they're thinking about their employer or they're treated by their employer the the bureaucracy mm. i mean they were there it was a very knowing laugh that was going on which in its own way right. was kind of sad um, but I do want to, uh, I have, a some more questions I want to ask you and I actually want to play an excerpt, but we, I want to oh go God. to some callers first. Sure. Um, sure. so let's, let, yeah, let's bring in the callers. And so first let's go to Irvin Schoenfield and you're in Brooklyn. Is that right? Yes, I'm in Brooklyn. You can hear me. Yes, I can hear you just fine. What is your observation? Yeah. Well, um, I'm a professor of psychology and epidemiology at the City University of New York. I'm actually a professor emeritus now, and my colleague Renzo Bianchi and I have been investigating the relationship of burnout to depression, particularly the exhaustion component of burnout. And also, I want just want to keep in mind that there are two ways to look at depression. One is a diagnosis, and one to think of it as on a continuum, like uh, temperature, and we've been finding very high correlations between uh, burnout and depression. And, and, we've, we've, and for example, you mentioned suicide as one consequence, and suicide is a consequence of depression, not so much burnout. Now, I appreciate everything you've said about the causes of, of burnout in terms of uh, moral injury and what goes on in people's workplaces, but it seems to me it's we're talking about depressive symptoms on a continuum from low to medium to high. And and also I understand that doctors probably have a, an incentive not to admit to depression because it would affect their medical license because of the stigma associated with depression. Ah, well, thank you so much for calling in and with those comments and Stuart, what I'm going to do, I'm going to go to another, uh, Another caller, and then I'm going to come yeah. back to you uh, for your reactions to Irvin and sure. some of the other calls. So let's go now to uh, Kirsten in Rosemont. Kirsten, did I get your name right? Yep, yep, that's right. It's Kirsten. Oh, okay. Um, 
Hi. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Um, so I just wanted to share some of my thoughts. Um, I'm a police officer, and recently I've experienced my own personal burnout, and I think first responders in general um, have burnout intermittently throughout our careers. There's a lot of, like, highs and lows, even if you're, you know, police, fire, EMS, even dispatchers. I think we all experience burnout from time to time Um, because obviously we're responding to, you know, different various calls that we're expected to handle, resolve, and help people the best we can. Um, And on top of that, it's shift work, long hours. You know, a lot of our departments are short-staffed, so we're picking up overtime and, you know, working extra long shifts. And the burnout for me has, like I said, ups and downs. And um, last year I was able to take a couple weeks off on like a leave of absence to help my own mental health um, because basically it was burnout and it's hard to keep going on unless you take a break for yourself as well. Um, so I just wanted to share my thoughts. from oh, the first well, well, thank you so much for calling in and, and sharing, yeah. sharing those thoughts. I really appreciate it. So Stuart, uh, Reactions to Urban yeah. and Kirsten? Yeah, so let's take start with Kirsten. Uh, yes, exhaustion makes everything worse. If you are exhausted, you're weary. Um, and, and I was, towards the end of my time where I was, uh, before I, I left clinical practice and went to the university, I just was weary. Uh, and, you know, the the it's hard for somebody like, like Kristen, you know, who's, who's, who does what she does because it's a calling, right? She's, I think she's yeah. a first responder. Or, so you do that because it's a calling. Um, and, and there's a lot of data showing that if you do things as a calling, that, that is somewhat protective against burnout, but there's only so much a human body can stand. Um, and I get that. And it just makes you, you know, cause emotional exhaustion, um, is a key component of burnout. Um, with Dr. Schenfeld, um, I, I actually am going to respectfully disagree with him. Um, you know, it turns out, yes, is depression a problem in medicine? Of course it is. It's, it's a problem everywhere. But to, to dismiss burnout as just more depression doesn't really, uh, really cover it. You know, it's not the, um, is it really because there's a lack of serotonin in your brain? And if you keep, you know, go on SSRIs, it, you're no longer burned out. Um, I, I think that definitely a lot, there's a lot of overlap. There's a good Venn diagram with, with burnout and depression together, but they are not the same thing. They're just not equivalent. I want to play a, a, a bit from, uh, from the musical. And uh, this is a song. It got a big reaction for the audience, and it's called Click a Box. And, um, well, let's just, uh, let's just listen to it. Yeah, you know, clicking a box. And um, so what inspired this 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 particular song? What do you think? Uh, you know, we <laughs> we can all. I, I, it doesn't matter. You don't have to be a doctor to, to right. identify with this one. I mean, this electronic. One of the things that really drives burnout in the medical space uh, is you know, there's lack of resilience, which is really a very small part of it. There's not you know having your values align with your uh, employer. But one of the biggest ones is you know inefficiencies in work, and we are clicking boxes all the time. 
and that, you know, the, there's all these, I could go on forever, but I, I won't, but there's all these studies that show the doctors are spending more time in the computer than they are with their patients. Um, and, you know, I had to write, I, I just had to write that. And everybody feels this way. Everybody hates this. Um, the Including the patients, do, by the way. Yeah, well, I see, I don't do it in front of patients. I mean, I just, it makes me feel dirty. You know, I just kind of wait and, you know, I do the computer stuff between patients, which of course adds time to the day. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, I feel that song is not a success unless everybody at the end of the song rises up and leaves the theater and screams and wants to, you know, start a revolution. Okay, well, we didn't get a revolution, uh, yeah. but you did get we a lot, a lot of applause. You did get a lot of we applause did. on that one. And laughs, yeah. All right, so let's go back to the phone lines. And Stuart can be the same thing. I'll take two calls or three calls and then and then come back sure. to you. Um, let's go to Victoria. And Victoria is in Duluth. And Victoria, what is your what is your observation or comment? Hi, can you hear me? Yes, you're just fine. Um, so I recently just left the workforce because of burnout. Um, I am not in the medical field, but I work with kids and, um, your guest spoke on earlier that when you have that drive as a medical professional to help people, or as in my case with kids wanting to better them. Yeah. That call, that um, sense of calling. I'm, I'm, yes, yes. Thank you. Calling. I could not think of the word at the time. Um, but over the months of feeling like I wasn't allowed to have a work-life balance, um, my personal examples could be when my daughter was sick and I needed to go pick her up from daycare, feeling like it was going to be looked down upon or a big deal if I had to leave the office, and then not having that understanding that I would put in extra hours other places, or when I took on a new role in a new position, not, not getting a raise in my salary. Um, that underappreciation and that not um, understanding of when things pop up with a family just no longer could overshadow my love and my calling to help these kids' and families. Uh, I'm really sorry to hear that. I mean, that's that's hard. Yes, it was really hard. Um, and the bright side is now I'm going to be staying home for a bit and be able to spend all the time with her. Um but I was really looking forward to having that balance for a really long time. And it's unfortunate that the understanding wasn't there from the company. It is unfortunate. And, and really, I wish you good luck on finding a new path, a new, a new purpose. And yes. now let, I'm so glad you guys are talking about this. Great. Well, thank you so much. And now let's go to Daniel in Eden Prairie. And Daniel, what is, uh, what is your observation? Hello. Hello. Daniel, we hear you. Yep. Yes. Um, My observation is I have a brother who went into medicine because it was his calling. He became an OB because he wanted to do reproductive medicine. There really wasn't much space for him to do that, so he's a practicing OB. And with the HMOs and uh, PPOs that are moved into his town, uh, the the reimbursement rates keeps dropping. The number of patients he sees keeps rising, and to the point where he is, I would say, very lowly paid. And he's working more hours. He's uh, talking about getting out of the business of delivering babies because he's 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 burnt out. And he, we've been talking about it. I've been 
uh, trying to advise him about what he can do to protect himself. But you, you know, he really is in a very perilous role. And do you think that he'll, he'll choose another career, another profession? Uh, I think he's at an age where he's going to have to do something. He, he's he's hanging on because he has kids in school and he needs the health insurance. So he's working for next to nothing for health insurance. All right. Well, thank you so much for calling in. And Stuart, your your observations. Yeah. I, I imagine that these two, uh, these are very sad stories that you've heard stories like this a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, the the message I, I think with um, Daniel's brother, um, this is a really common thing. And what's happening is that the, the here's the business argument, Chris, for dealing with burnout. Because I would say to the people who are employing Daniel's brother, yeah, you're not paying him what, what maybe he deserves, or you're, you're paying him a specific salary. If he leaves, do you know how much money it costs to replace him? Mm. Two to three times his annual salary. I mean, it's straightforward. This is happening everywhere. So when doctors are, the, there's not a huge big picture uh, approach to the people uh, who are doing the employee employing of doctors because they're usually just working on quarter to quarter, right? You know, that's all they care about. Um, And, you know, the, when doctors are a scarce resource, which we are, it turns out things have to change. And I guess my message to not just uh, to, to the doctors who are listening to the people in healthcare who are listening, but also to really anybody is we have to start pushing back. Because there are not, there's already a shortage. And the more physicians uh, and healthcare people leave medicine, the worse it's going to be. And it actually, the, to, to replace all the people who are leaving is just going to cost a lot more uh, than just maybe giving this person a raise or, or, or being a little bit more flexible with some other things. The way, so Victoria was talking about. She felt underappreciated, right? And and she really could have benefited by a flexible schedule that would have allowed yeah. her to take care of her family. Who says things, days have to be seven to three or nine to five? Why can't, there, there has to be some kind of flexibility there to accommodate people. Everybody's leaving the workforce and it seems like the people who are em- employing people are just stomping their foot and saying, this can't happen. But they're not really changing their their approach to it. Um, and look at this. I, I've heard this before, Chris. Maybe you have too. What, what happened with Victoria? They gave her a different title, but they didn't give her a raise. This is very common. I mean, it's it's like, do they think people are? Um, I don't want to use a pejorative word. You know, the, do they think people don't realize what's going on? Uh, yeah. Just to get a new title. I mean, but still pay them the same stuff. That I mean, it. It just doesn't make a lot of sense. But these are just kind of both of these are all about the um, people who are doing the employing. And I thought that Victoria's uh, story really was a uh, an example of what you were talking about earlier with moral injury. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, she looked at her child and said, you know what, this person's going to be at this age for not very long. And I am pouring out my soul to a place that doesn't appreciate me. I'm going to do what's important. So let's go back to the phone lines. Let's go to Steve in San- Stanfield. Sorry, Stanfield. Oh, Steve dropped. So let's go next to um, let's go to Tim from Plymouth. And Tim, what is your 
What is your observation? Well, I had the benefit of uh, watching Dr. Stuart Bloom in action when my partner Eric was dealing with his, well, suffering with a cancerous brain tumor. And I think one of the key components of his healing was the spirit and the bedside manner, if you will, the hopefulness that Dr. Bloom was able to provide him. And I think that burnout is important because if, if Dr. Bloom wasn't able to be there and, and, and totally present and bring a kind of a hopefulness, uh, a humanity to that interaction, um, I don't think his, his experience would have been as rich and as uh, what human as it was because of the 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 way in which Dr. Bloom was able to be fully present and fully human. Hmm. Well, thanks so much for for calling in and Stuart. That's uh, yeah. It's a really important word in there. Uh, hope. Yeah, that that is very moving. Um, thank you, Tim. I hope uh, you're doing well. That. Um, yeah, and, you know, it's really all about connecting with people, right? Uh, you know, you want a doctor, you want somebody to to know who you are, and uh, and it comes it comes a little bit at a cost, but the the benefit far outweighs the cost, I guess. Yeah, and so talk a little bit about what have you learned about how to, you know, deal with with burnout because you know we, we've talked about retirement and there's a shortage and uh, Victoria quit, quit her job and you know yeah. uh, people feeling oppressed so uh, and you know in so many professions when people have a career there's usually a passion there there's there's a desire there's a drive so you kind of have to figure it's got to something's wrong with me yeah well you know so that, that's a that's a very interesting question so you know as it became really clear that i could no longer do what i was doing um i i kind of felt every time i would go to work those last six months i would hear this kind of ticking sound that no one else could hear and i, I it was something for me it's like something was going to happen and and um you know the 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 thing that i wanted was not what i was was getting, but I will tell you one thing: it never affected my uh, patient care. It never got into that exam room. There is no place for a patient to have a conversation about medical burnout when you're in a patient's room, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like they say, this is you know, I'm really suffering. You think, well, that's bad. I got to click a box when I leave it. You know, I mean that that there's just no place for that. Um, so so that that never really happened to me, and, and so I had to I had a choice. You know, I could have retired. And become an old crank in the community and just complain about the way things are. Well, you could have you know? done another musical, The Crank, in 73 Minutes, I guess. I know, but guess what? No one would want to see that one, <laughs> I'll tell you. you know, they'd leave within five minutes. Um, or I could maybe become part of, you know, part of the solution. And, and you know, it, it has to start early. You know, medical students come in with a very uh, excited, you know, they're not, they're just not burned out, but like one year in they're they, so many of them burn out and they stay burned out. And it was like, well, what is happening? And I think it's because they're being trained by people who are already, you know, burned out. And, and so I really felt like that, that was, that was, you know, uh, I was, I felt a calling, something was pulling me back to, to do that. Um, and, and so one thing that, that I have found here at the university is that people just need license to, to say, Hey, what we do is cool. 
It's amazing. It's wonderful. What a what a privilege, you know. The and mm. so the, the we have to start fanning the flames of you know because our, our hearts are all very much in pain, but the heart is a resilient little muscle, you know, and, and, and it's still going and it's still beating. And you know, I'm talking about the you know symbolic heart, yeah. of course. Um, and you know, the, we have to start fanning the you know the the flames of, of passion and making people understand that it's a really good thing to do what we're doing because it's hardwired into us. It's hardwired into our DNA, you know, to take care of other human beings. If there was some kind of horrible catastrophe and so many people, you know, the system was gone and internet was down and everything, what would happen? People who were injured would try to find people to take care of them and there'd be people wanting to take care of them. It's this thing, this deep, deep thing that we have to kind of get back in in touch with. And for me, you know, I found it at, at the university. I'm still taking care of a lot of patients. But, you know, to, to speak to what Victoria was saying about, you know, her being exhausted, you know, that I'm no longer exhausted. You know, I'm seeing fewer patients. Um, I'm spending more time with, with uh, in teaching and, 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 and learning. I, I mean, I'm involved in this because I want to learn, not because I want to tell people what to do. I want to learn stuff. And, and I'm around all these amazing people who are doing that. So, that was the, the cure for my burnout. All right. Well, let's go back to the phone lines. And first, let's go to uh, Adriana. And you're in uh, Miami, Florida. Is that right? That's correct. <clears throat> so what, what is your comment? So um, I'm a resident here in Miami. Um, and I guess uh, one of the, not so much, it's more of an observation, but, um, you know, in anesthesia, you're the airway team, and I know it was really hard on on all of us during the pandemic, but um, even in the situation where the pandemic had never happened, you know, Miami, uh, as compared to Minnesota, is, is a less community-oriented city. Um, and, you know, when you're in the hospital and things are hard and you're a resident, <laughs> which I think is a special uh, time period of being a physician... Um, and, you know, you're still learning everything. Uh, it can be very lonely outside of the hospital. So when things aren't going, you know, the way you want them or, you know, you're um, really stressed out um, in the hospital, you know, I think loneliness and burnout also depends on where you live. Because here, you know, when you leave the hospital, if you're not from Miami and, you know, I was fortunate I was born in Miami, um, but raised half my life in Minnesota. So I kind of have two homes. Um, but, you know, when you leave the hospital, if you're not from here and you really don't have anyone here, it, it's extremely lonely. And, uh, you know, the support system that you hope for when you leave or the one that you hope to build, it can be very difficult to, to find. Um, whereas I think in Minnesota or, you know, even equivalent places like the Twin Cities, um, you know, you leave the hospital and perhaps, you know, if you're better able to build a community and um, there's a lot more community oriented events and group things that you can participate in um, that sort of make you feel like you're part of something else outside of the hospital. I think that's extremely important, especially as a resident. Oh, well, I'm so glad you called in with that. I really I really like that idea, the importance of the community outside where you work. And now let's go to Steve in Stanfield. Steve? Yeah. Steve, uh, uh, we can't hear you. It's There's something to do with this. 
connection. So I apologize. Um, but, you know, Stuart, in terms of the sense, the importance of a sense of community. Yeah. So Adriana is a medical resident. And for those people who uh, don't know what that means, she's a doctor in training. She graduated from medical school and it looks, sounds like she's doing an anesthesia residency. It's like a four or five year residency. And then you become an anesthesiologist. Um, so uh, medical residencies, these are the, you know, what the laws were passed to, to limit the amount of time they work to 80 hours a week. You know, I mean, it's, these are times of, of extreme stress. Um, and it really is up to her residency program directors to understand that. Uh, there's, there's, you know, many residency programs have peer support. Um, they, you know, the, the, the she, uh, cause loneliness and being by yourself and, and, you know, there's this whole idea of shame in medicine, you know, that, 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 uh, so many doctors feel, um, because they, they feel somehow less than perfect. Uh, we have to overcome that stuff. And part of it is just based on the leadership of, of the program that you're in. So, um, I would hope that uh, with Adriana, if you're listening, talk to the people who are in charge. You're not the only person feeling the way that you do. And uh, I'm so sorry we we weren't able to connect with with Steve because of the the digitals, whatever. Um, But he did write in. So, uh, Stuart, I'm just going to read what what he was going to say. Sure. Um, He worked as a nurse for his whole career, and he retired last month at the age of 70. He's really noticed a big difference over the past 10 years with nursing having more pressure and being profit-driven. Would have retired sooner, but he needed the money. Yep. And he's not alone. Steve, thanks for all your work. You know, my sister Naomi is a nurse and I have great respect for nurses, uh, doctors and nurses, our partners. Um, you know, the, because things are, things are worse for nurses and, and for, for nurses, their moral injury comes from feeling that they have to do, take care of more patients on the hospital, in the hospital floor. And so they f- feel it's a patient care issue, you know, that, that, that there's only so many patients you can take care of. Uh, and the staffing ratios, uh, patient to staff ratios or staff to patient ratio have gone up. Um, and so that's why there's an 85% of, of, uh, health care organizations feel there's a shortage of nurses. Nurses are leaving in droves because of this environment. Um, and that's why we have to start pushing back and demanding different, uh, you know, different conditions. Um, sure. There will be people who fire you, um, but guess what? There's no one to replace you. And once that becomes pretty clear, then things will uh, things will turn around, I hope. So, you know, we're, we're, we're getting toward the end of our 53-minute conversation here on burnout. Okay. Um, but I, if you can, if you have the time to uh, very briefly tell the story about uh, an older patient that you had and what you learned from her. Uh, the, the one at the, the end of the show? Yes. Um, so... You know, the my favorite day ever in in my clinic was um, uh, I had this patient. This uh, it was kind of early in my career, and I was starting to become known as a as a nice and fun oncologist. Um, and so many patients with advanced cancer started transferring to me at the end of their lives. You know, they they, they knew they didn't have much time left, but they wanted it to be under the care of. Uh, of a nice and fun oncologist. So uh, this one patient that Chris is talking about uh, transferred to me. She was an older woman with uh, metastatic pancreatic cancer. And I fell in love with her immediately because she was one of these ladies who kept a hanky tucked up her sleeve. 
And uh, she reminded me so much of my own dear departed Grandma Ray, who always kept a hanky tucked up her sleeve. And what I would do with Grandma Ray as I was in my teens and early 20s, when she would come visit us from Winnipeg, I'd hold her hand and I'd pluck the hanky out of her sleeve and I'd show it to her and I'd say, what's this? And she'd say, that's my hanky. And she'd take it and she'd put it back in her wrist. So that became a thing I would do with this patient. And so my favorite day in clinic, she comes in and I hold her hand and I pluck out the hanky and I say, and what's this? But it's a very long hanky. And I pull again, it's attached to another hanky. I pull again, it's pinned to another and another and another. <laughs> and then I look up at her with, with a perplexed look on my face and she says, gotcha. <laughs> I love that. I think that's that's a wonderful moment. But we have a yeah. time to, to to slip in another phone call. So uh, let's go to Annette in Golden Valley. Annette, you have to keep it a little Hi. bit short. Yeah, yep. please. Uh, I just retired last January after 36 years as an elementary school teacher. And I was in a career that I went in with love and passion. But over the years, just felt beaten down from policies, from uh, the disrespect that started to happen. Um, and so the last five years, I felt like I was just barely holding on by my fingernails. Uh, lots of tears, um, uh, lots of uh, just trying to figure out how I was going to get through the day and still do my job well. And one of the ways that I knew that I had to deal with that is to find joy in something every day. And I really was on a mission to find and bring joy into my classroom and into my life, whether that be bringing in flowers for myself or uh, getting a nice cup of coffee or going for a walk during my 15 minutes of, of break um, or doing things with the, the students that was just fun, just fun so we could laugh together. Um, that is what got me through, and I retired last January, even before the end of the year, because that was when I hit my retirement date, and I'm so thankful I had that. I worry about the people who are in education now, and I don't know how they're going to find their joy and how we're going to keep them from burning out. Well, thanks so much for calling in, and um, you know, really sorry that you felt that you needed to retire, but I'm glad you could retire. And Stuart, we got about thirty, thirty-five seconds left. Um, the so word joy. The, the word joy. Yes. <clears throat> so finding joy in, in everything we do is really important. But I would say to this, um, uh, to Annette, you know, that that was great that you could find the joy, but it didn't change all of the things that led you to want to leave the work, right? All those policies or whatever, parent interactions, things that were changing. And so while joy is important and it helps with our personal resilience, we have to kind of drill down and see what the issues are that are causing all of our burnout and push back. So that's, I guess, what I would say about that. Yes. So uh, I'd like to thank you so much for, for, for taking your time. I mean, this has really been... Uh, a lot of fun. and um, Same uh, for me. Thank you so much, Chris. Thank you. So Dr. Stuart Bloom is an oncologist and associate professor at the University of Minnesota Medical School. He teaches doctoring skills and explores and addresses the causes of medical burnout. He also wrote and performs in the musical How to Avoid Burnout in 73 Minutes. This conversation was produced by Maya Beckstrom. And be safe, everyone. 
Thanks for listening to a recording of my live radio show on NPR News. A reminder that if you want to catch my show in real time, tune in and call in weekdays at 9 a.m.